you may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden, exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this episode of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We're coming to you live from our radio and television studios here located here in beautiful northwest Pennsylvania. We broadcast every weeknight. That's Monday through Friday, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Global Star Radio Network. You can catch us live, again, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, via Global Star. That's our flagship network. What a great network to be on. And we also simulcast on Blog Talk Radio, BTR. And also you can watch us live, YouTube Live, on our official YouTube channel. Just go to HagmanHagman.com. That's our main presence on the Internet. And there you can select any audio or video venue of your choice selection. And don't forget, folks, we've got two websites. We've got HagmanandHagman.com and HagmanReport.com. The latter, of course, HagmanReport.com is the location for the news, information, show prep, analysis, articles, and what have you. That's that's where that's where we have the, uh, the show prep. So tonight, as a matter of fact, uh, we've got two very special guests, uh, Mr. Steve Quayle from SteveQuayle.com, and a guy that you know I I I know I knew about. And I, in fact, I've read one of his books, and it, there was a mental disconnect here, and I have to apologize for that. Um, he is. He, he, wait until you hear about about our guest, Mr. Sig Swanstrom. Now, Sig Swanstrom is a former police officer and a police SWAT team operator who worked in the Los Angeles area. Now, he he's the owner of two schools dedicated to teaching firearm self defense. Texas Republic Firearms Academy um, and uh, uh, Camp Berkeley Tactical Training Center. Sig's written a number of books. We have his books, and I, I cannot recommend them highly enough. Uh, one book, and I'll show you right here, is Prepared, Ready to Roll, Book One, Why Responsible People Are Preparing. And, you know, we, we get this question a lot. Uh, why prepare? Well, if you don't, 
frankly, you're an idiot. Okay, I don't even know how else to describe it. Okay, you, you know, and I don't mean to be nasty when I say that. Um, uh, all, uh, the preparation, taking care of your family, taking care of yourself, making reasonable, and I stress reasonable steps, uh, to prepare for any potential disaster. Of course, it's only the right thing to do. Now, he's also written uh, just another fantastic book, which I have read and we have here in our library, God, Guns, and Guts of Firearm Defense. Man, uh, you, you talk about uh, the biblical the biblical aspect of uh, self-defense. There it is. And, and just to expand on, on Sig's uh, bio a tad here, because you really need to understand who this man is to really appreciate the information you're about to receive. And I want to thank Steve Quayle for uh, reminding me about uh, about Sig Swanstrom and Sig for all he's done. But during his years of police service, Mr. Swanstrom had many deadly force encounters with armed criminals. Now, this is not like on television, okay? I mean, let me tell you something. I've had my share of close calls here uh, during my work in EMS and as an investigator. So I understand to some degree, not to the extent Sig does, of uh, the situation, you know, what, what he what he, what he he got into, what he experienced. But later, while living in Guatemala during the country's violent civil war, <laughs> our guest experienced guerrilla warfare and terrorism on a first-hand basis. His compound was attacked, in fact, on three separate occasions by insurgents armed with RPGs, mortars, and automatic weapons. Talk about really screwing up your day. I mean, you know, you wake up, now it's not UPS, it's incoming. That's a little bit of a problem. So he knows of which he speaks and writes. And and I also have to mention, too, that he, uh, uh, as a uniform patrol officer, he became a crime scene investigator, CSI type, you know, uh, without the glamour, of course, of television. And he was subsequently promoted to detective. And he joined the SWAT team. He was a member of the SWAT team. He received advanced certifications that could paper a big wall. And um, just amazing. Uh, he was named Police Officer of the Year. Was He was a Commendation for Val- Valor recipient. And he received the Mayor's Commendation, U.S. Attorney General's Commendation, and other awards and certificates. He also served on the protection detail of Ronald Wilson Reagan, uh, not while president, but uh, during that time period uh, uh, when he was in California. Not in Washington, that is, in California. But having said all of that, um, just very quickly, I'm going to turn it over to Steve uh, for uh, a further introduction. Just very quickly, if you go to HagmanReport.com, I, I had commented, made a comment about... Uh, Biblical defense. I've written an article about it, and folks, there is no argument in my view. And 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 Steve Quayle has talked so much about this. There is no argument. If you don't protect your family, and and we've had guests and callers and people write to us and say, well, you know what? If someone's breaking into my house to you know to kill me, I'm really going to have to stop and think. I'm going to really have to prayerfully consider how I'm going to react. Whether I'm going to just allow this to happen. I'm not kidding. You know, allow the, 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 the rape and, and murder of my wife and family and me, or, or, or if I'm going to do something. 
Uh, I don't know if that's to, to me that's perhaps the closest definition of of uh, of biblical perversion of scripture and insanity that I know of. And you know what I, I do know, and, and Steve knows this as well. Um, there are individuals out there dedicated to, to really taking us to task and taking us down, and and I mean that in the literal sense of the word. So those people who are out there typing, transcribing every word we say, let me caution you, get it right. And if you take on the responsibility to take us to task for uh, bringing forth the biblical principles of self-defense, that's on you. If I sounded harsh, I meant to be. Joe's with me. Uh, Joe, I'm just going to bring you on and then give it to Steve. Yeah, it's great to be here this Friday. Uh, looking forward to the show. First time with uh, Sig Swanstrom on, and looking forward to hearing what he has to say. Steve, I'm going to turn it over to you, and let's get this party started. Well, thank you, Joe. Thank you, Doug. And Sig, nice to have you on. I think what's critical is the timing of this. We just have observed one of the greatest, uh, what I would say, false flag where people really died. We have seen what happens when people assume everything is okay. Now, without getting into, uh, you know, all of what those people were doing, they're still American citizens. And I think the saddest thing is good people die young because they assume and presume upon the grace of God without ever appropriating in prayer and in relationship the ability to discern. Uh, Sig has written the book God, Guns, and Guts, A Firearm Defense, A Biblical View or the Bible View, and it's a blessing. I, I told him on the phone, and Sig, and you, you know, feel free as soon as I turn it over to you to address how this whole thing came about, but the big thing is, is that the fight that Doug has talked about, where people are trying to basically say, just sit there and take it, is anti-biblical. So by understanding what Sig is going through, the call that God gave him to warn and equip the body of Christ, by the time you're through with this, I would hope that you'll make it a matter of prayer and a matter of instruction to be victors and not victims. And that's been something since uh, talk radio was started on a quarter of a century ago, you know, and that's a, that's a long time in my book, that it has to be addressed. So, Sig, thank you for coming on. Thank you for writing the book. Thank you for training. And, ladies and gentlemen, it will be my goal and my desire and, and our position to try and get you to understand that faith without works is dead, an assumption that somehow you're going to just walk through a blaze of gunfire if a bunch of, uh, not forgive me, when a bunch of crazies come into your fellowship or into your home or into your sphere or into your OODA loop, the, the point is, is that you need the training, you need the understanding. So see, if you would, go ahead and take it. Take it as long as you want it. When you, when you need a, a break, throw it back in Doug or I or Joe will come in. Go ahead, sir. Well, thank you, Steve, and thank you, Doug and Joe, for inviting me to be with you tonight. Um, you know, Doug, you were talking about the uh, pushback that you get on these subjects, um, and I understand that, and I sympathize with those that are pushing back against you, because I would have identified as part of that group uh, during my youth. I grew up in a home with a university professor as a father 
who is a very liberal Democrat and very involved in politics. And I was raised with the idea that, uh, you know, to kill someone else was a violation of God's law. You know, the sixth commandment tells us, thou shalt not kill. And I took that uh, very seriously. It was only till later that I got into a study of scripture and found that isn't what it says. It says, thou shalt not murder. And uh, homicide is uh, very different from uh, killing someone under uh, self-defense kind of situations or even uh, legitimate war situations. And the Bible is full of examples on the other side, but unfortunately we've let our opponents define what Scripture means for us. And when I was growing up, there was plenty, plenty of examples of that. Everything was peace, peace. And uh, I I uh, wasn't uh, with it at the time, but I, in uh, some years afterwards, was visiting the UN and saw a big statue in front that was titled uh, "Beating What Was It? Beating Your Swords into Plowshares," and it was taken. That was taken from Isaiah 2:4. Which is talking about what the uh, reign, what it will be like during the reign of Christ, but it was presented in such a way with this statue and all the falderall that went on along with it, that this was our goal, that we could hope for peace in our lifetime, and we just needed to be peaceful people, and everyone would play nice, and it would be fine. The uh, the uh, kind of dark humor of that is that beautiful statue, and it is a beautiful statue, uh, was uh, sculpted by a Russian and donated to the United Nations by the USSR, uh, a, comp- a country that was far from anything uh, close to peace, but it's an example to me of how the Soviets picked up on our own fallacies and they were just another um, troop using scripture against us and the reason they were able to do it is because we don't really know God's word um, even that verse the uh, the Isaiah verse has a counterpoint in Joel uh, Joel 310 I think it is and uh, but nobody took any attention you know to that detail so here I am growing up in this era where everything is peace-oriented, and uh, upon uh, getting out of the university, I went off to Haiti with uh, three of my good buddies, one of which was uh, writing an article on Haitian folklore, and we lived in a, the little town of Jacmel for, um, well, I think I was there well, three or four months. Um, and during that time, a number of people were killed by the secret police. They were made to dig their own grave and then machine-gunned into it. And uh, the Tonton Makut um, just ran wild through the countryside, and there was nobody, nobody to stop them because the population was unarmed and couldn't do anything to fight back. And that situation is what really prompted me to get into God's Word to see what it really had to say about these things. So, Doug, when you talk about 
your opponents, I understand where they're coming from. They're wrong, but I understand where they're coming from, and many of them have a good heart, but they're missing the point of the whole gospel. They end up cherry-picking various verses which um, they can twist to their own uh, designs of meaning, and they miss the whole counsel of God. And I think that's one of our other challenges today, is God's people just have to get into God's Word to understand what it really says. You know, you walk into a Christian bookstore, and it's full of books talking about the Bible, instead of getting in and actually reading the Bible ourselves and studying it. So I think that's that was the first challenge for me, getting into God's Word. And then second, once I had overcome that and realized the fallacy of what I had been taught when I was growing up, I was freed to accept a call that I didn't realize God had even put on my life until then, and that was to go into law enforcement. And uh, I, I guess it had always been kind of niggling at my heart, but it wasn't until I was able to resolve these issues that I was free um, to uh, take that move. And I started in uh, Washington State and found that I really loved the uh, work, and uh, at that point I was single, and I decided I wanted to be where the action was, so I managed after a couple years in the Seattle area to transfer down into the Los Angeles area. And I definitely got my wish. It, <laughs> it was a place of lots of, lots of action and uh, yet at the same time opportunities to see God working um, in mighty ways as well. But when I first arrived in California, I was looking around for a church and found uh, a place that I was uh, felt at home in. But uh, the second Sunday there, a woman comes up to me and says, I understand you're a police officer. And I said, yes, I am. And she she uh, went on to harp on me that I couldn't possibly be a Christian and carry a gun. And so this problem was very, um, I was already used to those kind of pushback. But now that I'm teaching firearms classes um, and have been for the last uh, eight years and starting these schools, I've really come to see that a lot of people are still struggling with that, and unfortunately a lot of our pastors are struggling with it too. Those that are senior pastors today often went, grew up through that same period that I did and have these same conflicts, but they never had to really confront it. They may not have lived in the ivory tower uh, like uh, where I grew up on a university campus, but the net effect has been the same to leave them very confused on these subjects, and as a result, they just either haven't dealt with it or have you know, taught information that is just inaccurate. Um, in all my years, I have only once heard someone preach a pastor preach on Luke 22:36, and we'll get into that later, but it's when Jesus actually tells his disciples to carry a sword. And yet, I, you know, how many times I've heard Luke preached on for the Last Supper and the foot washing and all the other 
parts of that Last Supper that um, we know so well, but somehow pastors tend to just skip right over the Luke uh, 22, 35, and 36. And that's to our detriment in this era. Um, in, in police work, we had a little uh, truism that made the rounds, and it's when it is when seconds count, the police are only minutes away. And I think that's something that we have to keep in mind. Very often when these terrible circumstances um, happen, it isn't a situation that you can wait for the police to arrive. I mean, the situation we have just um, lived through um, this last uh, week or so in Orlando, I mean, many of those people, it was three hours before the police got to them. So if we think that we can rely in our age of professionalism on the specialists and not take personal responsibility, we are wrong. We are probably dead wrong. And, um, you know, Steve, you mentioned my time in Guatemala after I left law enforcement took an early retirement and uh, moved to uh, Guatemala to be involved in a uh, something down there. And uh, in that process, as I went to a uh, visit churches that we would attend, uh, came to an international church in Guatemala City, and as we approached, my family and I, my, my two young kids and my wife, we come up to the door of this church, and instead of the welcoming that I expected, here we had two armed police officers with uh, submachine guns uh, standing guard at the door, and it's like, uh, and <laughs> are we really supposed to be here? Is something wrong? And uh, they, they checked me out very closely and uh, finally let me open the door, and when we got inside, we were very graciously welcomed. But I noticed that all of the ushers were carrying guns, uh, concealed, of course. Um, you know, some were just in uh, colorful sport shirts, some in suits. But I saw the telltale budge, bulge that I'd been trained to notice, and uh, I thought, this is really strange. Well, as we ended up getting involved in that church, I learned that it was the responsibility of every single usher and elder to be armed, and the reason for that was the church had been attacked on several occasions, and the parishioners robbed, and in other times attacked by guerrillas, and in the, the few years prior, it had been attacked multiple times. Well, since they implemented the uh, new policy of having armed people in the sanctuary, that came to an abrupt stop. And uh, it became a very safe environment for the years that we attended there. But uh, my point is that even though there were armed police officers out in front, in those days that wasn't enough to stop the things that were going on. And I'm afraid we are on the cusp of similar circumstances here in the U.S. where you are not safe when you go into church either and uh, you aren't safe when you go into various other places that are gun-free zones like schools and, and other uh, similar places where people know it's an easy target. 
And, uh, you know, it's fine to pray and, you know, contemplate how, you know, I would be in those situations. But the point is, if we don't deal with it in advance, if we aren't armed, if we aren't trained and know how to use those weapons, then when the time comes, we will not be able to use them safely. And it is a big concern for me, even as more and more people are uh, taking advantage of uh, concealed handgun laws and carrying, that there needs to go be training that goes along with it, because gun ownership doesn't make you competent any more than buying a football makes you a football player. And we need to embrace that and get not just training in how to punch holes in paper, but training in actually how to defend ourselves with a firearm. So I just uh, really encourage those that are listening that if you are still struggling with the idea of the legitimacy of, of owning a gun and carrying it, uh, that you really um, get into the scripture and study it yourself to not take my word for it or Steve or Doug or Joe's, but see for yourself what God's word has to say about these issues. And uh, I am confident that if you do that, you will be freed and understand that it is not only okay, but it is our responsibility as responsible citizens to be able to care for those we love and, and also to potentially be able to care for our neighbors and others that are in harm's way. The reality with law enforcement is no matter how competent they are, the role of the police is largely one to take reports after the fact or intervene when the situation is, is over. And if, if we're encountering a time of violence, we don't have the luxury of just waiting and handing it off to somebody else. Uh, the responsibility is ours, and God has given us that responsibility. We can't take it lightly. In um, the Beatitudes, Jesus talks about the uh, being peacemakers, and I think it's very worth noting the word he used uh, as peacemakers. Um, as you look into the Greek there, the word uh, relates to forging, like a blacksmith forges something. So peace is not just something that happens. Peace is something that is forged uh, by force. And when we think, you know, that just being peaceful is going to take care of it, uh, that's uh, not a biblical concept. And Jesus didn't say be a pacifist or be peaceful. He said be a peacemaker. And so that is really our responsibility, and I think not just in this era, but in the days that are coming, we better wake up and take that injunction seriously. Um, so I feel like I've been rambling here. So Steve, well, or let, Joe? yeah, 
Hey, Doug, let me bring up something I think is really critical. It's as we look around against the uh, against the world stage or on the world stage, the violence against women, especially in the Muslim world, is there's no chart to compare it to. There's no uh, uh, even parameter or um, uh, index marks that you can put it into or, or parentheses, a parenthetical uh, uh, insert as to the unimaginable. And, uh, excuse me, unimaginable and horrific uh, events that are befalling them. But in the Middle East, you've got a group of Kurdish women, for instance, and SIG, this is kind of interesting, that absolutely refuse to be slaughtered. So you've got a, a group of women, God bless each and every one of them, that determined that they're not going to lose their femininity, but they're not going to lose their lives either. And I think it's critical that people understand that we're not in in Kansas anymore, not that we ever were, but unfortunately the press, and by the way, I think it's fascinating, every single gun control proponent has armed guards, whether it's Barbara Boxer, you know, the elite of taking away your guns, Hillary Clinton, you know, you can't name any of these people that basically don't go into every situation armed. Everybody that was sitting in on the, um, oh, yeah, what was it called? the gun sit-in the other day in Congress, the point is, is they all have armed bodyguards. So basically what it, it boils down to, and it did it boiled down to this in Haiti, it boiled down to it in Russia, the Ukraine, Nazi Germany, Pol Pot, Cambodia, is you can't have guns because we can't become the dictators that we want to be. And, and Sig, don't you find it interesting that wherever you have dictators who have disarmed the people, the people get slaughtered. It doesn't matter if it's Africa, it doesn't matter if it's Caribbean, it doesn't matter if it's Mexico. There is no place, either in contemporary history or ancient history, where those with the weapons took advantage of those without the weapons. So it's my goal on this show, Doug, Joe, and Sig, to get the ladies who are listening in here. And i got to tell you, some I have ladies that say to me, they send me emails, and maybe you encounter this too, Sig, my husband won't do anything to prepare. What can I do? And my answer is, get a firearm, not for him, but for the events that are going to come down and and be prepared. And some people say, well, then you're not under submission. I'll tell you what, I don't want to be under submission at the barrel of somebody's 45, or more importantly, an AK-47 or whatever. So I think it's amazing. Look at Chicago, a gun-free zone. Look at all the murders. Look at, obviously, Orlando, the club. Gun-free, 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 gun-free. And you cannot separate gun-free zones from slaughter. Look, if you're setting up a false flag and you want to make the maximum impression, generate the maximum mayhem, and introduce the maximum amount of blood, you're going to go after sitting ducks. And I think it's fascinating that the word peacemaker, that's what Colt used. You probably all know this if you don't. <laughs> That's what the first 45 was called, the single action 45, was called the cold peacemaker. So the thing is, is that you don't, uh, how do I say this, you don't stop evil.
people by wishing it away. Or as the Attorney General says, love will conquer everything. Tell that to the people who are being beheaded, who under their breath, they were saying, help me, Jesus, me, help them to stand true to the faith. I think that, and I'll, I'll go on record, Sig, I don't know if you've ever heard me say this, but I say it, anybody that will take your gun is a co-assassin. Everybody, Anybody that would want to take your gun and keep theirs is a co-executioner. So isn't it fascinating, as we go into this uh, political season, we've got one of the most criminal, we have one of the most uh, uh, track record-wise evil uh, uh, personalities running for president who has been responsible for the slaughter of Benghazi, who's been responsible behind the scenes for Fast and Furious, who has sold out the country's secrets and everything else, and yet 49 or 50 percent, maybe a little higher, uh, still will vote for that, uh, I would say, evil entity. I'm talking about Hillary. And the fact is, is that people will vote for that knowing her track record. I'd say this, if there was ever a reason for everybody to get training, get armed, and think tactical, tactical is practical, this is it. So, Sig, as you see the political rhetoric for disarmament, as you see the lies that go into making the AR-15 the boogeyman instead of the people behind the false flag. And again, there's two types of false flag. Those that are using crisis actors where no one dies, but they leave the impression it was a slaughter. And those false flags that are coordinated with uh, usually military training exercises or law enforcement exercises that result in innocent death. So as you see and just watch the last couple weeks, does it not even astound you, having trained, having lived in the battle zone, having gone through what you've gone through, that the argument against the weapons is so transparent that the people are finally, or not all of them, but there are a great deal of people are standing up and recognizing there's nobody there for them. And that, that you know, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters is a fantasy uh, uh, show that came out in the movie theater, but it doesn't work. So address the fact, if you would, just that, that from your perspective, as, this, as the events have taken place, what are some of the things you notice the most? Because obviously you've been in law enforcement, and then if you would address the, if you will, the militarization of the police after you answer that question. Yeah, there's really, when we encounter any kind of uh, violent or potentially violent situation, there's really three questions that we ask ourselves, and that is, should I run, should I hide, or should I fight? And the unfortunate thing is that without a gun or some method of defense, there is no way that you can fight. And by many of the circumstances that are contrived by these attackers, they eliminate the chance to run, and hiding becomes futile. Uh, here in, in Texas, uh, when the law was finally changed, uh, to allow concealed carry, and it's just embarrassing to me to think that Texas ever prohibited it, of all places. But in any way, it came up about because of, uh, primarily because of the testimony of a woman who told the story of being in a Luby's, uh, cafe, a restaurant with her parents, 
and in the process of sitting there enjoying breakfast on a on a calm uh, Saturday morning, suddenly a pickup truck drives through the front window of the restaurant, and she said, well, I immediately thought that it was just a traffic accident. And then the driver of the pickup jumps out with a gun and starts shooting people. And she says, well, then I thought it was some kind of gangland assassination. Uh, and then she said she a few seconds later she realized this man was just indiscriminately shooting everyone he could in the restaurant so this uh, witness she uh, her father flips the table down and they get behind the table for protection and the unfortunate thing is slowly the gunman is working his way around and he's coming towards them, and her father tells her, well, I can't just sit here and get shot. I'm going to have to do something. So he jumps up, and he charges the assailant, who proceeds to just shoot him in the chest, and he goes down, mortally wounded. And uh, the witness here says that she noticed that someone in the back of the restaurant threw a chair through a window, and the assailant was momentarily distracted, so she grabbed her mother and said, let's get out of here, and she took off running for the back of the restaurant to jump out the window. Well, as she's going out the window, she realizes that her mother has not followed her. Instead, her mother has crawled over to her mortally wounded husband and cradles him as the guy comes back around and shoots her in the head. And she said that I will never forgive myself for not having a gun with me so I could have done something about this situation. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that we have to have in mind. The, the gun control people, there is another agenda. It has nothing to do with safety. Um, there's plenty of evidence of that. There's a great book called More Guns, Less Crime, uh, written by Dr. Lott. He's a university professor, did extensive research, and he's conclusively demonstrated that when responsible people have guns, there is less crime. And, you know, it's not a big surprise when you think about it, as the uh, criminal elements, the violent people, why do they congregate in gun-free zones or gay bars that they're going to figure they're going to get less resistance? Um, this is what we need to expect. I mean, the shooting that happened in the, in the uh, Colorado theater, that gunman drove past numerous theater complexes to get to one who... Uh, a theater that has established their theater as a gun-free zone and prohibited patrons from carrying a gun inside. My own alma mater last year, uh, Seattle Pacific University, suffered a terrible attack where uh, a 20-something uh, guy armed with a shotgun, a handgun, and a knife came, and after the fact, they understood that he came and stalked the campus first. It's a Christian university, and uh, he chose it on purpose because even the security guards on campus are not armed. And as a result, 
he thought he could uh, wreak mayhem uh, without restriction and certainly uh, turned out to be true. He came back uh, a couple days later with his guns, walked into the one of the science buildings into the lobby and just randomly starting shooting people. Fortunately, in that case, the uh, information desk was manned by an ROTC student who was not armed except he did have pepper spray in his pocket and he waited until the assailant started to reload and he ran across the room, tackled him, and sprayed him in the face with pepper spray and was able to disarm him. So, I mean, my hat goes off to people with that kind of courage, but uh, unfortunately, pepper spray and other non-lethal kind of weapons are very often ineffective in uh, stopping a serious assailant. These uh, non-violent or less violent tools like pepper spray that often I hear Christians talk about this as the answer, Um, I can tell you, you can operate, a bad guy can operate fine after he's been uh, pepper sprayed if he is so inclined to, especially if he's on drugs or mentally ill. Um, I mean, when I went through the police academy, they set us in a bunker and fired a flight right rocket into it with tear gas, and it was, I was so discombobulated by the whole thing that I went through that plywood door without opening it. But now, ten years later, after I'd been exposed to these gases more, I ended up operating in those environments without my gas mask because it was too hot to wear the gas mask. So, you know, they are, in essence, allergens, and they do not stop serious, violent criminals. So, we can talk um, all over the board about these different types of weapons that are less lethal, but the bottom line is they just do not work. In fact, even a gun often does not work to stop an assailant immediately. It's not like on TV. I had one situation where a guy in five times square in the chest with a 9 millimeter service pistol and he still ran a block before he died. Now imagine if he hadn't decided to run but he had decided to just stay there and continue to shoot, he would have several more minutes to wreak havoc before he succumbed to his wounds. So we have to understand that these uh, these starry-eyed ideas, oh, let's just shoot him in the hand, or let's uh, just wound him. Uh, It does not work. Um, This is one of the things I encounter all the time, good, nice people not wanting to take a person's life, and I celebrate that. Life is sacred, and it's nothing that we should take uh, easily. But the reality is that the bad guy who is doing a violent act does not have a right to live more than the innocent person who has done nothing wrong. And in fact, it's our obligation to protect that innocent person. Um, In police work, we had a term, it was called bought and paid for. And that sounds very crude, 
but it is um, making clear the fact that a bad guy who has made a choice to engage in violent behavior, he has made his own choice, and uh, he gets paid back for that choice. And we can feel bad about that. We can wish the situation was different. But the end of the day is who walks away from that. Is it the innocent people or is it the violent offender who's going to walk away? And we just can't think that I can wound a person in the arm and stop the situation. It does not happen. The only people that I've seen shot that succumb immediately tend to be good people. The bad people keep on fighting, which is another lesson for us, and that is that even if you're injured, you don't have to roll over and die. You can still be a warrior, you can still fight, and it's amazing how long you can fight even though you're injured. And we need to be that kind of warrior like King David was uh, with his mighty men and uh, not be the wimps that we've allowed our society to turn us into. And I'm speaking of the women as well, because you're absolutely right, Steve. The women often get it when the men don't. We now have more than half of the people attending our basic and intermediate school classes are women. And we used to offer women-only classes because we thought that that would be more comfortable. The reality is that isn't necessary anymore. And we also interview or um, survey people as they're coming in and why they're taking the class. And the interesting thing to me is that eight years ago, that those survey results were 100% that they wanted to make sure that they weren't a victim of crime or they were able to protect their family. Now it's about 65% are taking the class because they're experiencing a sense of disquiet about the future. And very often they can't articulate what it is that they're concerned about, but I think most people, whether they're really evaluating the signs of the times or not, they understand that we're on the verge of some very difficult times in the future. Hey, Steve, if I can ask you real quick, you know, as Christians here, we, we see what's taking place in the Middle East and even in Western Europe now. Um, you and I have spoken in the past. I, I mean, this show really is for... Christians out there um, who are awake enough to understand this is coming here, right? I mean, this is it's already here, though. I mean, I, I guess I really want to reinforce to the listeners that hey, we're facing immediate peril, are we not? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Ten ten years ago, when I was uh, reviewing uh, intelligence briefings. At that point, we knew that there were 1,000 Muslim sleeper cells operational in the United States, and that was 10 years ago. So imagine what it is now when we've let all these Trojan horse people through our borders and uh, let them congregate, and, uh, you know, the even if it's only... 1% or half of a percent 
that turns into thousands of potential terrorists that are in our midst. Now, of course, we have to quickly point out that, you know, some of these refugees are even Christian refugees, but that is the the minority. Most of them hate us and hate our lifestyle. I was in Costco a couple days ago shopping, and there were a number of Muslim families in there shopping, and here I am just minding my own business, and they're scowling at me, giving me dirty looks, and just exuding hate. Um, now, others, I have a, a Muslim friend who runs a, a grocery store near my house, and we are good friends, and he's a wonderful guy. But the point isn't the wonderful, nice Muslims. The point is, even if it's a small percentage, these people are in our midst. We're not talking about Iraq, Iran, and Afghanistan. We're talking about down the street. And from the intelligence information I get, uh, which I still get through back channels, is that the expectation is that there is a day coming that these people will somehow, it'll be some innocuous news event that will spread the word to them, like, uh, you know, the PLO has made new overtures to Israel for a new peace, new uh, round of peace talks. Something totally unrelated like that is the action word, and these people then, you know, five days after that or whatever, start their rampage. And it isn't just about guns and explosives. Imagine if we have um, people driving through uh, school playgrounds and running over children or taking a car through a shopping mall or, you know, poisoning a water supply or poisoning food in the grocery store. You know, the range of possibilities for attack is huge. It's not just guns and explosives. Well, you can imagine if we had a thousand incidents across the United States within a few days, what that would do to America. Um, the, the mass population would be in complete turmoil, and um, our law enforcement, military, everyone would be completely overwhelmed, and we would be basically in a Katrina situation and on our own, both for you know, sustenance as well as uh, defense. So, yes, Doug, I, I think you're absolutely right. These are in a Trojan horse time, and we better wake up to realize we better be prepared for it. Hey, Doug, I would like to, to draw everyone's attention to 1993 in South Africa when a man by the name of Charles Van Wyck, who was sitting in a congregation of 1,000 people, was stood terrorists, okay, who burst into the St. James Church and they had shrapnel-coated um, shrapnel grenades and automatic weapons and attacked, and immediately 11 people were murdered. He had only a snub nose 38 revolver and fired two shots at the attackers. And he came up with a statement that I think is, is so powerful. Listen to this, everyone. 
the only person who can stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Let me say that one more time. The only person who can stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. And and here's what he he had something amazing to say. Listen to this. He said many people have adopted the pagan fallacy of animism that evil lurks in things, guns rather than people. Demonizing inanimate objects, guns makes no sense. Guns can be used for good or evil. The heart of the handler is what makes the difference. Now, again, by the way, he is a uh, uh, a Christian missionary. He's also a realist, and because of him, look at the odds, ladies and gentlemen. One man, one gun. And by the way, when they got the assailants, you probably remember this, Sig. I don't know if you remember, Doug. They planned to kill every man, woman, and child in that congregation. So, uh, doing the math real quick, 989 people's lives were spared by one man who understand and understood evil in human hearts who would make the decision that on his watch it's not going to die. I gotta tell you this, Sig, and I've said it on the radio and I think you would agree with it. I have never seen such pacifism and cowardice as I have coming out of the mouths of professing Christians. Now understand, I'm talking about professing Christians. I have personally heard with my own ears people saying, well, you know, there's always going to be martyrs, and by the grace of God, not on your watch, not on Doug's watch, not on my watch, because again, when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, obviously he wasn't endorsing cult at that moment, but if people think about the cult peacemaker, obviously every Western you ever grew up watching on TV had one, it's the gun that won the West. The West was not a uh, fun place in the old days. We had immigration issues, and everybody took what they wanted. And what happened to you, uh, Sig, in Costco, I get reports like that every single day from all over the country and, unfortunately, from all over the world. And mm-hmm. and what's, ha- what's happening is people don't realize the contempt, the contempt, the religious foundation of Islam is simply this. I'm sorry, they can say what they want, but I've read it in their book. It's to kill the infidel or subjugate them. So, so when you and, and Doug, I don't, I don't think I ever addressed that, and I, I didn't bring it up until just now. But the making the gun, the uh, if you will, that's animism. That is as pagan as a witch doctor in the jungles of wherever using an inanimate object, invoking evil on it, and then basically trying to curse others. Well, in this case, they're trying to take our guns away and allow the senseless slaughter. And for the record, the whole crew that backs up the crew that's now in Washington said it's going to be necessary in the whole weather underground field for, and this was years ago, for 30 to 40 million, pretty much, and this was their terms, white Christians to be murdered. So that's something for everyone to think about. The whole crew that now wants to take your guns away was pretty much trained under that whole uh, proposition. Hold that thought, Steve. We're coming up against the break. We'll be right back with Steve Quayle from SteveQuayle.com and his guest, Sig Swanstrom. Stay with us. This is the Global Star Radio Network. 
you may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden, exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this segment of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Two very special guests, Mr. Steve Quayle, stevequayle.com. That's stevequayle.com. And Mr. Sig Swanstrom and sigswanstrom.com. Just go to hagmanreport.com, and, and there you'll find tonight's episode and hagmanandhagman.com, uh, either one of our websites, with links to Steve's website, to Sig's website, and also uh, Sig Swanstrom has his works on amazon.com. If you go to his author's page, and in fact, just go to amazon.com if you uh, if you don't want to go through it through our website, and just type in Sig Swanstrom. S-W-A-N-S-T-R-O-M, just like it sounds. And, and you'll see his books, five-star ratings, too, on, on all of his books. Um, the one we're kind of focusing on right now is God, Guns, and Guts of Firearm Defense. The Bible View, uh, very gr- I mean, it's a phenomenal book. We have it here in our library as we do with uh, Prepared, Ready to Roll. While, wh- I'm sorry, Why Responsible pe- uh, People Are Preparing. And, and so many great points. As a matter of fact, we got that book actually on October 15th of uh, 2015, the uh, prepared book. But, but folks, you know, we as Christians, we are not called to be wimps. We're not called to be uh, uh, milk toast in the face of danger. We are not called to be cowards. We are not called to acquiesce to the perversion of, or the threat, I should say, of violence. We are to protect our families. That's biblical. We are to protect ourselves. We have the biblical, scriptural right and responsibility, even more importantly, to do so. And that's this is something that when when people email us, or say something to the contrary on our show, I, I just have to wonder why, why, what really in the Bible, what, what see contextual uh, consistency with respect to Scripture is extremely important, and if you uh, and as Sig has done very well, he's gone through the context of the of the Scriptures 
and makes a great case. So, folks, go to Amazon or sixstrongstrongstrong.com, his website, if you'd like an autograph book. But definitely grab your hands, grab a hold of this book. It's your hands on God, guns, and uh, guts of firearm defense. It has a lot of great information, and you will be the most knowledgeable person in your congregation about this very topic. Now, uh, Steve, I'm going to kick it over. We're going to kick it over to you. But we were talking to, you know, one very soft spot in our hearts, in my heart especially, are the elderly, the infirmed, the people who are really the on the top of the potential victims list, the easily exploitable. That really angers me, and especially there. The, you know, to me, we need to be able to give them not just advice, but encouragement. And and the, uh, well, I'm going to just kick it over to you, Steve, to open this hour, and then you take it uh, with Sig, however you want to take it. Okay. Well, I want to deal with that, and and Sig and I uh, exchanged emails and had a uh, call on or a telephone call, and, and this is on both our hearts. One of the things I want to share with everybody, Doug, because I'm getting emails to, to address Brexit, the British exit from the EU. The first domino has fallen, and fear now is spreading across the world. And what's interesting is this. As times get tougher, tough people take from weak people. I've watched it. I've observed it. I've talked to bikers. I've talked to gang leaders. I've been on talk radio 25 years, so I'm talking not immediately, but over that time period. And basically even had someone tell me, uh, because I was in the prep business, hey, we know where you live, and when when things get tough, we're coming after you. And I said, good luck, guys. 1,800 yards, you're mine. Now, I wasn't trying to make a threat, but what I was trying to point out is that the survival of the fittest is already being planned out. And one of the things I want to share with people today, because my email box filled up, and see, I was up really late last night and really early this morning wanting to see how bad this would be. Today was Black Friday, everyone. It remains to be seen what will happen on Monday. But I want to share something with everybody. Everybody who's listening to this show, you're taking for granted that you might be able to buy a firearm, that you might be able to buy ammunition, that you might be able to buy food. And let me let me just tell everybody, get real. I, I've been at this prep business, survival business, whatever you want to call it, uh, self-reliance for a quarter of a century. And the thing that's, uh, I'm sorry, 35 years, so I'm 65, so more now than half my life. And been on talk radio for 25 years. And one of the things that people still don't get is the fact that when this gets bad, they will have to have their food. I've been talking to people about getting food, uh, talking to the different suppliers. It, there's If 1,000 people, let me share how, how uh, really insignificant the amount of available food is. If 1,000 people went to buy long-term storage food, okay, from whoever, they don't realize there's less than probably a dozen manufacturers, and it would sell out in the day or within the 24 hours that the phones were able to keep up with the orders. 1,000 people. Now, we're up to 300-plus million people in this country. It applies to everything. And so what I want to share with people today is this. 
that you've got to stay alive. It, the same thing applies to uh, firearms and ammunition. Now, there's plenty of AR-15 platforms out there at this point, but in a panic, here's, here's a good word. Panics change everything, and panics change everyone. Now, that's, it's really critical you get that. Panics change everything, and panics change everyone. Now, Sid, Sig, excuse me, will obviously train in any gunfight or any potential gunfight or any potential life-threatening situation. The last thing you want to do is panic or just react. You want to absolutely know everything ahead of time. You see it in your mind, and you fall back on your training. Well, again, what I'm sharing with people, Doug, tonight, because, look, I don't know what's going to happen Monday. I post an alert. Please, everyone, go to the alert on stevequail.com. It's not that I'm just saying I'm pro trying to promote my website. I had the most disturbing call with a military, ex-military, who's in contact with current military, about the plans the coming plans that can be integrated at any moment, any time. It's not everything that uh, that people don't already, let's say, consider and people who listen to talk radio don't already have a handle for, but here's the deal. You are going to be controlled by food. So I want you to know this. I don't know what Monday brings, but I would encourage you to go on my website, to go on the new manna food, because it's, it's non-GMO food. It's absolutely, in my opinion, the best bang for the buck. But you've got to understand that you're locking in today's food prices against tomorrow's price raises, or our price rises, whatever. And you can call Ryan at 406-581-0182. And, Doug, I don't care if people think this is an infomercial. How long have we pled with people to get prepared? And, Sig, I'll tell you something that was astonishing. I went to an indoor range uh, the other day in another town a couple days ago, and I was talking to a gentleman, and he told me one of his best friends works at, I believe, one of the military bases in Utah. He said that every single a week, the truckloads of 22 long rifle comes into that uh, military base, and they put it in the popper. What the popper is is a place that burns it all up. Now, I asked this guy, I said, give me a little bit of your bona fides. Well, when you're starting to talk to guys who are advanced physicists and develop the rail gun, and he, you know, he's rattling off the rate of fire of all the SMG submachine guns and telling you how he designed this one for this one, and by the way, he's an older gentleman, I got the feeling that he knew what he was talking about. So at some point, you're already seeing it in California, your opportunity to buy a firearm, to train with that firearm, and to become proficient with it and to have access to the, uh, or the accessibility of the ammunition simply is going to dry up. We've seen it before. But what's different about today, and I'm going to turn it right over to Sig, what's different about today is today a domino fell, putting into effect mass panic. Now listen, this was orchestrated by the elite. They were positioned all night long in London, buying and selling, making hundreds of billions of dollars. They want a stampede. And Al, thank you for sending that. They don't want just a general herd uh, moving uh, situation. They want to stampede the people. They want it chaos, because remember this, everyone, that they're 
theme, their, if you will, immoral imperative, their prime directive is order out of chaos. The chaos that's coming, I fail to be able to define it accurately. But today, this morning, the gentleman's information to me was simply this. Tell everybody to go to the movie America, spelled with a K. You know, what is it, 20 years or some uh, time ago, maybe even le- uh, later than that. And watch, the, he said this, the Senate and Congress, what happened to them. Now, I'll give you a heads up. Go look at it on YouTube. But the bottom line is, is that the elite intend to take out all political resistance to their plan. Now, that's what they uh, predispose, or that's what they're predisposed to, but it's ultimately God that will control that. So I'm telling everybody, okay, today, you had better take this situation, Brexit, for real. In essence, Sig, that was the end of NATO, and most people still don't get it, because Germany went to NATO last week and said, back off Russia. That's a smart thing to do, to back away and back off Russia. So when you hear anybody saying, the Russians are our enemy, we need to attack and blah 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 that is nothing but the mouthpiece of the new world order and even president putin and thank god he said to, to donald trump what he had love trump hate trump if you would look at who trump is hated by it maybe gives you a greater appreciation of if god raises him up so be it i got 75 emails today or actually in the last 24 hours from people trying to decide if donald trump is really a christian and and you know the bottom line is listen god changes a nation through kings and he uses kings that don't even know him at the point cyrus is a good example king cyrus so the point is is that we're in a very difficult position and then today and this i'll turn it right over to you sig today a gentleman came in my store 68 years old he said his two neighbors uh, had had he hadn't watched them? Uh, they they were both pretty crippled, and obviously they were elderly in their eighties. And finally, he went over to see, or his I think forgive me, his brother went over to see, and they were both laying on the floor. They could not get up, both of them, and one of them had a broken hip. He said, Steve, if it hadn't gone over there, they would have both died. So, Sig, let's talk about now the need to protect the elderly, the need to honor the elderly, and, and you know, that people who are in that mode can also not be victims. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, we're well acquainted with the problem that gun-free zones create. Uh, we've done this in our schools and other places, and we've seen that um, these mass murderers love these areas where they know no one's going to fight back. But we have mobile uh, gun-free zones often happening in the form of our elderly and in people with various types of disabilities, and it is not being publicized, uh, at least not very much, but the attacks on elderly and on um, handicapped people are substantially rising, and it's no wonder, because they're easy prey, and they're being um, both assaulted and robbed, as well as being uh, intimidated uh, for all sorts of payoffs and other kinds of, of problems as well. And, you know, where the Bible tells us to look out for the widows and orphans, uh, that is a serious injunction as well. 
Um, those that are least able to take care of themselves, we have a special ability to aid. And um, I get very frustrated. We have uh, special classes for people with uh, disabilities. And the uh, laws are such that um, it severely restricts what some of these people can own, not in the sense that they can't own a gun, but, for example, some of these people cannot um, handle a gun safely with one hand. So an ideal situation would be a pistol with a four-end stock to it, which can easily be purchased and bolted into place. And uh, so it's just a handle that goes on the front part of the gun so that they're able to hold the gun with two hands. Unfortunately, as soon as you add that little innocuous handle to it, you've committed a felony, and the ATF will be happy to come and arrest you. Now, there are ways to get a special license. Uh, it's actually a tax stamp to be able to do that. But my point is we've made it more and more difficult not just for the ordinary person to protect themselves, but also for those that are least able to take care of themselves. And so I just uh, challenge all of us, myself included, to uh, go out of our way, not to just befriend and help people in their hour of need today, but to be able to look out for them in the future as well. It's not enough just to think, oh, that nice uh, old man from church, I'll go check on him every once in a while. If situation really goes south and we have lots of violence, much better to go get him and bring him to your house and care for him there. Um, that's what Jesus would have us do, is take care of these people. But just because someone is infirm does also does not mean very often that they can't take care of themselves. So in some of these classes, now I, I personally advocate um, a handgun of 9mm or larger caliber. I found just by personal experience that uh, you need uh, a gun of that caliber or greater to adequately uh, engage in self-defense. But some of these people can't operate a gun very well um, of that size, and so their best alternative is a 22 or uh, 22 Magnum. And we have to go to the place where they are and help them with it. And I just challenge those who are already familiar with guns to go out of their way to help those that are either uh, older or have some kind of disability and need assistance to learn how to use a gun and then help them get a gun or whatever it is they need to protect themselves at home. They value their independence and we need to honor that, but one of the ways that they can stay independent and feel more secure is to have competency with, in most cases, a, a handgun. Um, I'd like to, if I could, talk a little bit more about uh, um, other types of non-lethal weapons that people are talking about all the time. <clears throat> if you are one that is not ready to buy a gun, and I'm sorry if that's the case, but if it is the case and you want something, your best alternative is probably to buy a canister of pepper spray. And uh, unfortunately, the kind that's sold in a sporting goods store is not adequate. You need to go probably go online and Google 
um, police supply store or something like that and buy um, the kind of pepper spray that uh, police officers carry. And on the label, you will see it labeled as having 10% oleoresin capsicum uh, or 10% OC. Uh, that is the best dosage of pepper spray, the most effective. Now, you can buy more. You can buy 50%, and that's great if you're dealing with grizzly bears, but it actually doesn't work that well against humans. So 10% is best. But the stuff you buy in most sporting goods stores is usually 3 to 4%. It's just not strong enough. And the police supply houses are generally where you're going to get the best price anyway. Uh, the other devices, like stun guns, are essentially uh, pretty ineffective because as soon as they the uh, bad guy breaks contact, they're going to uh, lose the effectiveness, and you will going, we'll have just made them mad. And... Uh, same thing with tasers, which are very expensive, and you know you only have uh, one shot or two shots, and if you miss, um, you've made them mad as well. So these other devices just are not adequate. And let me tell you briefly a little story. I was uh, when I was a uniformed officer, I reported, I responded to the scene of a uh, domestic violence call, and the uh, husband had already left the scene, but he'd assaulted his wife, and I arrived, and I'm in the living room taking a report from her, and all of a sudden, bam, this guy blasts through the front door, and he's six foot six, 280 pounds, and comes in and goes, what's going on here? And I knew I was in trouble, and uh, I pulled out that pepper spray, and he came at me, and I sprayed him in the face with that steady stream for as he came at me from about uh, oh, 15 feet away. And he walked right up in front of me, rubbed his hand over his eyes, and goes, What are you doing to me, boy? It affected him zero, not at all. But me, my tears, my eyes are running, my eyes have almost sealed shut. And I was the one dispensing it. So it is an allergen, and different people are affected in different ways. Fortunately, in that case, he uh, had calmed down <laughs> by the spraying action, even though it didn't affect him. But my point is you cannot depend on these other devices to actually stop a serious assailant. And if you do ever use any of these devices, and say a woman's in a parking lot, and she's being stalked, and a guy comes and is about to attack her, and she sprays him with pepper spray, and the guy runs off. Make sure you call the police and report the attack, because if that guy turns around and he calls the police, and he said, this nutsy lady in the parking lot sprayed me with pepper spray, I'm a victim here, I've been assaulted, you've just opened yourself up to a major lawsuit as well as perhaps being arrested for assault. And, you know, these bad people don't just take advantage of people by violence. They also take advantage of people through the courts. And we need to protect ourselves both ways. Um, and back to the point on stopping an assailant by shooting in the arm or leg, the issue with shooting someone is not to kill them. 
The issue is to stop the violent act. So the best way to do that is center mass, the center of the chest, and you keep shooting until the violent act has stopped. And I was reviewing some tapes today of a, uh, um, a robbery in progress, and that assailant kept fighting back till he received the eighth shot in the chest. So if you think you're going to fire once and stop and then reevaluate the situation, it doesn't work that way. You have to keep shooting until the violent act has stopped. So again, it's not trying to kill the guy. It's to stop the violent act. And that's what's morally acceptable um, and uh, specified in the Bible. It's not trying to provide revenge. It's not retaliation. It's not punishment. It is simply to stop the violent act. And once it's stopped, then you stop shooting. Uh, but you don't stop shooting until that's the case. You know, the other thing I think is important for everyone to get tactically aware, for instance, ladies going to the supermarket, I am now, because of all of the immigrants, you know, that are in this country recommending that no woman goes alone uh, to a supermarket in areas that are heavily influenced by refugees, uh, find a new place to go and do not go at night and go with someone else. It never hurts. Listen, so you know this, as a law enforcement officer, they have a reason for two uh, 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 policemen being in the same car. One always keeps his eyes uh, surveilling to the left or you know, in front of him and right, but surveillance and um, situational awareness are a big deal. Number two, don't get in your car without glancing under the car. I was in Dallas a number, well, pretty much 10 years ago during the holiday season, and what was happening at one of the most famous uh, uh, shopping malls is people were hanging out under the cars. They'd crawl under it, and then they cut the legs take the uh, cut the legs of the Achilles tendon so and would basically steal the car with all the presents and leave the person there bleeding now that didn't happen every day but it was a potential and also one of the things that's really really becoming more problematic is look you can get if you drive you can get a, a remote starter for your car and it won't open the door until you press the button to open the door but remote starting especially become tactically aware and if a woman's uh, packing obviously she can pack it in, uh, on her clothing but in, and, and the way most women uh, carry their purses or at least I've observed I used to sell women's purses for handguns when I was in the firearms business you know they can walk with their hand inside the uh, side pocket gripping their pistol but again here's the thing it's only going to get worse and that's what I think and by the way uh, I can tell you this if you've ever been back sprayed with wasp and hornet spray I've been sprayed with uh, you know oleo capsicum 10% and that's mean getting sprayed even with the wind blowing the hornets I, I obviously wasn't spraying into the wind but the wind came up that stuff is debilitating because in essence it's an organophosphate poisoning so a can of wasp spray you know is very important the other thing don't answer the front door 
never answer the front door. If somebody's knocking on your door at nine o'clock, and Doug, I told you, I was, I, I have, you know, obviously surveillance in my house, and I was downstairs doing a show with you a couple weeks ago, and somebody's at the door. Well, the deal is, is I, I think, you know, I don't know what happened, but I left whoever talking, and I ran up there with pistol in hand, because I'm serious, you know, and the only one upstairs was my wife, so I entered the situation, and it was just some guy selling, uh, uh, you know, some kind of cleaner, but he had his friend in the van down the street, and I could see, uh, you know, that, that there was somebody else out there. That was a perfect setup, you know, needless to say, uh, you know, uh, how do I say this? Um, even at times you don't think it can happen, it can happen. So, you know, Sig, I think it's critical that, that the argument is made, well, I just want to shoot and wound them. No, it's always stop. You stop the aggressor. You stop it. And I think that, that what people need to understand is, is that violence can overtake you anytime, any place, anywhere, and that's the place of prayer. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil. So that's how you start out the day, and that's why I pray for people on the radio. You, I always pray that people will be at the right place at the right time and never the wrong place at the wrong time. Because, again, I had a brother say, I think, Doug, you know this, my only brother was murdered decades ago. They never found his body. The wife of the murderer came forward to turn state's evidence. Basically, the guy shot her, say, four times. She didn't die. Uh, you know, she refused to testify at that point. Fast forward 25 or 30 years, he shoots her four times in the head, she doesn't die, and then turns the gun on himself. Pretty uh, unusual case. So whenever you're subject to someone you love being murdered, it you don't have much appreciation for the... Uh, individuals that can kill a person in cold blood, psychopaths and narcissistic uh, uh, revenge seekers, they're some of the worst people. And you've encountered that too, have you not? Where you've underestimated, or would you not say that the danger of us underestimating a potential opponent gets a lot of people hurt and a lot of people dead? Oh, absolutely. And also, you know, we hear a lot about profiling, and we have a tendency to profile ourselves. And uh, when I was a police officer, uh, I actually conducted uh, my own little experiment with a couple other officers uh, unofficially. And we um, drove down the street and picked out people that we considered that were criminals and uh, pulled over, talked to them, and got their cooperation. And in uh, more than nine times out of ten, we were correct in identifying who was a criminal. Now, the unfortunate thing is there's a lot of people out there that don't look like a criminal. You know, whether it be a nice-looking young lady or whether it be a middle-aged man uh, or some high school student who seems like a nice-looking kid, you just don't know who the attacker is anymore, especially when we're talking in a drug-infested environment where a lot of people are just completely whacked out on drugs of various types. But it isn't, um, you know, you look through the peephole in your door 
and you see it's a nice-looking couple, and you think it's safe to open the door, it isn't necessarily safe. I had, uh, our family had a terrible situation a couple years ago where um, one of my relatives listed in Craigslist that she was selling some jewelry. And, of course, that was a foolish thing to do from the beginning. And uh, she arranged to have them come to her house, mistake number two. Uh, but she thought it was okay because her husband was there and he uh, would, you know, make sure everything was managed fine. And she looks out the peephole in the door and sees this very nice-looking couple, well-dressed, and they live in a very nice neighborhood. And so she thought that was fine. She opens the door and immediately two guys that had been hiding on each side of the door rush through push her down to the ground, grab her husband, and put him to the ground, tie him up, put him in a chair, and um, take all of the kids, tie them in chairs, and begins uh, torturing the young one of the children, um, trying to get the parents to tell them where, not just where this jewelry was, but where is the rest of the valuables hidden in the house. And there weren't any other valuables hidden in the house, so there was nothing to tell them, and uh, so this young kid is getting tortured, the father can't take it anymore, he lunges for the bad guy, gets killed in the process, and uh, the bad guys flee. Well, you know, the guy is still dead. Um, the couple looked normal and uh, even affluent. Um but the guy is still dead. And so we have to be really careful with what we're doing. Things like Craigslist, other things where we're engaging people we don't know. Of course, you know, if you're doing something like that, a busy public place is best. But even then, you don't really know. So we have to have our guard up at all times. And we have to, what, what I reg uh, talk about as run scenarios in our mind. What, are, what would we do? We're driving down the street, and I'm stopped at the red light, and there's a guy standing right there. What, what would I do if he tried to jump in the car and had a gun? Would I just drive through the red light? Would I pull my gun? Would I back up? Would I just honk the horn? What am I going to do? If we run these scenarios in our mind, we have an opportunity to be prepared when the time comes. I have a friend of mine who was a police officer off-duty, and he had a habit of running scenarios like this. And one of the ones that he had run regularly was walking into a convenience store that's attached to a gas station. One day, on his way home from work, he's gassing up the car, decides he's going to go inside to get a candy bar, and walks in the door to find a... Uh, Robber, robbery in progress. He's got the guy has his gun out, pointed to the head of the uh, cashier. There's numerous uh, people shopping in the store that are all kind of frozen in place, and apparently he was in the process. He was going to rob all of them as well as the store. So this uh, acquaintance of mine drops to his knee because he hasn't been seen yet, and waits for the guy's attention to be 
distracted and the gun away from the head of the cashier, and he takes the shot. He takes the proactive shot and takes the guy out immediately. Now, he dropped to his knee so he wouldn't have to worry about secondary penetration because if he misses, that bullet still goes somewhere. But he had worked the scenario through in his mind. He knew what he would do in a situation similar to that, and he was able to take decisive, immediate action that basically we don't know how it would have played out with saving people's lives, but they were certainly in jeopardy. And it was only because he had worked these things through in his mind that he was able to react appropriately. Now, these are the kind of things that is really our responsibility um, as uh, proactive citizens to do is figure out what we were going to do if we're confronted with various forms of evil. And there's lots of types of evil we could uh, potentially confront. And I'm not suggesting we live in paranoia. Not at all. We are to be victorious people. We are to live with joy. We are to live um, with positive attitudes, not panic or fear. Fear is not of God. Um, But one way to get rid of fear is to be adequately prepared ourselves. So we certainly depend on God. We look to him for protection, but he expects us to do our part as well. So I just encourage all of us to run scenarios and be prepared and don't, even when it comes to guns, the idea of gun ownership, again, is not enough. It, uh, tactical practice, tactical is practical, as Steve pointed out, It's practical practice to make sure we're ready to respond when a situation uh, surfaces. And, you know, very often the news media is reporting statistics that are very misleading. But even the government statistics, if we get into the guts of them, we can discern some very interesting information. Um, in In the God Guns book that talks about a study that was uh, conducted by the U.S. Justice Department. And in that study, even though this was never publicized, I cannot believe it, it's a current study, said that 42% of Americans will be the victim of a completed violent crime, so that would be assault, robbery, rape, or similar, violent crime in the course of their life. 42% of Americans. 83% of Americans will be the victim of an attempted or completed violent crime, and 52% will be the victim of an attempted or completed violent crime more than once. Now, granted, if you're living in a gun-free zone like Chicago, you know, you may be the victim of violent crime, you know, 10 times in your life, so it's going to skew these statistics. But the point is, violent crime is actually increasing. In areas where um, concealed handguns are allowed, the crime does decrease, but overall we are experiencing an increase in violent crime, and the projection is that we're going to have more violent crime in the future. And think of it. We have numerous ways this can happen. One, ordinary crime. Two, terrorism and acts of war. You know, three, anarchy that comes about as a result from financial collapse or um, 
you know, pandemic or all sorts of other possible causes. And when Steve was talking about food, I would add to that ability to purify water as well. But I, I talked to a police officer friend of mine who I knew was not preparing and asked him, why aren't you preparing? He says, I don't need to. I said, you know what's coming. How can you not prepare? He says, I've got this. And he, and he pats the gun on his side. I said, what are you talking about? He says, well, I know people down the street that are preppers. I'll just go get what I need. And I said, are you kidding me? You're a police officer and you're going to commit armed robbery? And he just kind of shrugged. says, you know, i got to take care of my family. Well, yeah, take care of your family by getting off your duff and go prepare yourself. You know, don't rob your neighbors. But here, my point is, this is a police officer. So our moral scruples have so decayed that, you know, I'm not saying this is widespread and that this is what every police officer is like. That's absolutely not true. But the point is that the most trusted person in our society, you know, should be the police officer. And here, you know, we have a police officer talking about, well, if the situation's bad enough, I'm going to resort to committing armed robberies to take care of my family. So the the uh, the culture, the civilization is now just a thin veneer, and it maintains itself just by the bare edge. And that's why, you know, police departments, police officers are referred to as the thin blue line. And the whole idea of the thin is because it will not take much to break that thin barrier. And uh, whether it's anarchy or just widespread crime or, um, you know, the result of, um, you know, one of these other circumstances, if we aren't prepared to take care of ourselves, you know, in Jesus' injunction, his final injunction to his disciples, his, and his followers, that night of the Last Supper is recorded for us in Luke 22, 30, 35, and 6. And he asked his disciples, he said, I sent you out before, did you lack anything? And, and uh, his disciples said, no, nothing. And he said, well, now I send you out, I want you to bring your your uh, wallet, it says purse, but your wallet, in other words, finances, I want you to bring your bag of provisions, and I want you to bring your sword. And if you don't have a sword, sell your, sell your coat and buy one. It was that important that Jesus said, if you don't have a sword, sell your coat and buy one. Now, this is not some nicey-nice kind of thing. This is the Last Supper. This is right before Jesus is arrested in the garden. And this is his final instructions he's giving his disciples. And Peter speaks up and says, well, Lord, we have two swords. Well, I want to point out a couple things here. One, Jesus' disciples at least two of them were already carrying. And the sword was the handgun of that day. But Jesus basically said that isn't enough, and they should all be carrying. In other words, if you're, it's not every person should carry a gun, but every competent, responsible uh, 
person should be able to defend themselves and others. And that's that's what he was saying. So in other words, two of the 12 wasn't enough. There needed to be more. And the next part of that verse says, Jesus says, it is enough. And if you study what that term is in that era, the term, it is enough, was really a statement, you guys aren't getting it. That's enough of this conversation. It's going to come to you later what I'm talking about. And then, you know, it's only a couple hours later that Peter uh, shows his uh, volatile spirit and goes to defend Jesus and ends up cutting off the ear of one of the uh, servants that came to arrest Jesus. (coughs) Well, that to me is another reminder as well. One, Peter missed. So he was not adequately trained. He carried his sword, but he missed. And Jesus, of course, healed the ear of that servant. Um, But Jesus at that point did not scold Peter for having a sword. He said, put it away for, you know, this is my time. So in other words, it wasn't telling Peter, well, you shouldn't, you know, engage in violence. It was rather, this isn't the appropriate time for violence. And that's the other aspect of this we have to remember too. As I mentioned before, you know, sometimes it's better to run, sometimes it's better to hide, but the third element of being able to fight back is essential. If we leave out the third element, we are just asking to become a victim. Steve? Doug, do you want to comment before I get into it? (laughs) No, but I think Joe might have an issue is because some people, not an issue, but a question because there are people who, who take that same scenario, the biblical scenario. And, in fact, Joe well, just, just what, what I just wanted to, what Sig said is after the cutting of the ear and Jesus healing the ear of the soldier, he said, put up the sword. And then he goes on to par- say something. I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't have it right in front of me. Um, something along the lines of, uh, put up the sword. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. I would uh, like to, I would like you, to share. Please. Yeah, yeah I would could... like to share this and say, uh, you know, I'll share and then you. I, I was really troubled and was praying about that. And I went and looked up the idiom, and, and, and again, and remember, ladies and gentlemen, this isn't 20th century or 21st century America. It was the Roman, if you will, uh, conquest of, of the whole Middle East at that time. To live by the sword was basically what, what Jesus was saying. It literally means to be a mercenary, okay? And what Jesus was saying, and and this came to me in an answer to prayer. I didn't go find this in a book, but he was saying, you will live by every uh, uh, word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, but you're not going to live like the Romans do. You're going to live under the kingdom of God. He didn't tell them to sell the sword, okay? But to live by the sword, they who live by the sword die by the sword. That was a Roman idiom for being a merc, okay? A merc is a shorthand word for mercenary. And that really freed me, okay? Because the last thing I want to do is give anybody uh, ungodly counsel. And this is the thing, okay? I tell people that they will spend more time fighting even basic uh, common sense 
than they will fighting evil. You know, it's like, and I want to just put this out. Whether you like Donald Trump or not, you don't need 75 guys chiming in on, well, he really doesn't know the Lord, he doesn't know this, he doesn't know that. And meanwhile, they're missing the whole, whole point that look at who his enemies are. I want to share this with you. I believe, Doug, that you have to know those who labor amongst you. And Sig, you talked about the law enforcement guy that you didn't know. Years ago, when I owned a firearms store and, and uh, indoor shooting range, I had two policemen, you know, who were snickering. In those days, I, I was one of the guys that started the uh, preparedness movement. I didn't start it, but I guess I took it on a national level with what I did. I mean, the pioneers started it. But they actually came in my store, and I still remember the day i remember the thing you know and, and they were mocking and they said well by the way you know we're police officers and this is what really made me mad we'll take your stuff and we'll take your wife fast forward 25 years i'm with a certain individual and i have two witnesses to this and the guy was an ex-cop sir you know thought he or said he was a survivalist and he, he we're up in the mountains this guy has a pair of handcuffs on uh, his belt, you know, duty belt, and he had his pistol, and he made the statement. I said, what in the world are those handcuffs for? He said, well, I'm of the opinion things can go south any time, and when it gets tough, I'm going to go steal a woman. I mean, he's going to kidnap a woman. And I said to him, I said, like, you know what you are, and he said, well, what's to stop me? I got a gun. You don't. I said, brother, my hand's already on the trigger, and I did, uh, you know, because it did just one of those things that was prompted, and there were two witnesses. So what I'm saying is this. You've got to know those who labor amongst you. You have to ask the Lord to give you men after his own heart. You have to not go by the discerning of your eyes, but by the obedience to the Holy Spirit. And if I, if I were to tell you of the emails I've gotten in the last 48 hours over just something, I mean, and I don't know if each one of these guys is one people, Lord, they care about it or not, but they're, they're sweating the small stuff. Know those who, who you're uh, shouldering up to. Never allow, okay, anybody who's undetermined or undecided in their mind about the whole idea of self-defense, never let them get close to you. Do not embrace a pacifist or someone that would say the statement, and I dropped my former doctor years ago, decades ago, when he said, Sig, he said, if I saw someone raping my wife, I would basically pray and I would do nothing to stop them because it must be God's will. And I went ballistic, and pun intended. When you see people like that, and this guy was a Christian, you know, he was a love everything, love everyone, and everything was fine, you know. From that day forward, we never sp uh, spoke in. I won't say on the radio what I told him, but, you know, I had a, a brigadier general tell me, if I had been the wife, you know, uh, I, you know, I would have basically shot the, the rapist, and I probably would have turned the weapon on my husband that was such a worm. That's paraphrasing. So the thing is, is that this is life and death. And, Doug, I want to make this clear. All the critics out there, everything else, you know, when, when the Hagman and Hagman show allowed uh, Jeremy and Jeremiah and the crew, we raised the money. Those of you uh, brothers and sisters listening to this donated to an action that took place in Iraq that was ultimately responsible and facilitating uh, 
interruption through prayer. We prayed uh, at the uh, Whitestone Conference, too. But there were men and women, brothers and sisters, who were over there ready to lay their lives down. And these were all Marine Force Recon. I mean, these were not wimps, okay? And they did something. And so when I see the casual lack of concern for men and women, uh, boys and girls being rape pillaged. By the way, it's happening in Twin Falls, Idaho. Those of you who are in Twin Falls, Idaho, you should immediately circulate petitions. And for those who were on the county board or whatever, the city board, that allowed that little girl to be sexually abused by three uh, of the uh, Muslim, uh, um, what do they call them, refugees, and the father gives the boys the high five, those of you in Twin Falls should demand the immediate uh, stepping down of everyone. And by the way, Sig, they just turned those kids, I think, you know, three kids, the oldest, either 13 or 14, free on the streets, the ones that uh, sexually molested a little five-year-old girl. This is happening in this country now, and people better wise up and they get her speak up. Because guess what, Doug? There comes a time when we're not on the radio, and I'm sorry for getting fired up about this, and there's no, quote, uh, you know, embrace the devil's uh, uh, doctrines where everybody's going to either live or die. And I don't think being a coward the fearful and the unbelieving get into heaven. Look at the book of Revelation. So, Sig, do you want to comment on that? Yes. You know, we uh, we get so busy in our lives today, and we're very often doing lots of good things. It's not necessarily we're off doing, you know, evil deeds, but we're so busy with whether it be sports or entertainment or just excessive efforts into our jobs or whatever it is that is keeping us so busy that we're failing to be responsible citizens. We have to, if, if we don't stand up for these victims, who is going to stand up? And who has a, a more responsibility to stand up than an emissary from the Lord God. So this is our job to be active in our communities, demanding justice, demanding action. And again, I want to I want to make it very clear. I'm not talking about revenge. I'm not talking about retaliation. I'm not talking about taking things into our own hands. Um, at least not into our own hands, unless you know they're happening right in front of you. But our job is not to punish criminals. We are agents of justice, not delivering justice in the sense that, you know, many popular movies are today. So yeah, here we uh, have movies say, say, advocating. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, we, we are we are just at the top of the hour, and I just I didn't want you to get into a new train of thought here. Just hold that thought as Good. we are about ready to break I, I do i do just want to take this very quickly here from your book god guns and guts of firearm defense where you write we are now entering an age of social upheaval with new forms of violence so the failure to properly understand and embrace god's teaching on these topics will mean that we're ill-equipped for what we will face in the future Unfortunately, just as with Jesus' disciples at the time of the Last Supper, many of us still don't seem to get it, or we aren't willing to obey and follow Jesus. Our guests tonight, Sig Sigstrom, SigSigstrom.com, and Steve Quayle. Stay right where you're at, or we're going to be right back. 
Radio Network. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden, exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Ladies and gentlemen, to this Friday edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report, we're joined by Steve Quayle from stevequayle.com and Sig Swanstrom. Uh, go to his website, sigswanstrom.com. Uh, the doctrinal divide over defending ourselves and families, perverting scripture, and the emasculation of today's Christians is the topic. Before we get back to Steve and, and Sig, I uh, just want to bring you a quick word from Minuteman Rocket Stoves. Folks, go to MinutemanStove.com. Check out the portable, convenient, and uh, pretty cheap price. Yeah, yeah, inexpensive, inexpensive price. Um, survival stove. This stove is good not only for camping and uh, outdoors um, cooking, but it is great in survival-type situations or natural disasters. When you have no power, no means to cook, you can get this awesome, uh, it's a souped up ammo can with an eighth, eighth inch steel, uh, plate. Also welded in is a, uh, burner on one side. It comes with these awesome fire starting sticks. I think they're, I don't know if they're magnesium or what they are. I don't uh, know, but they work, 10,000, 15,000 strikes per stick. And this stove is great. Folks, go to minutemanstove.com. Check out the stoves that they have on their site. Check out the fire starters. And if you have any questions, the email uh, for Mr. Miller is right there. Um, uh, I'll tell you what. We put it through the paces. Eric the Tech put it yeah. through the paces. It has passed. We don't we don't endorse anything. We don't use ourselves. And let me tell you something. Minuteman Stove, the best stove on the market. If you're looking for that high-quality stove, it's not a camping stove. It is not a camping stove. This is something, too, you can seal up and put in your, your car. Yeah, and I talked to Lane today, the owner of MinutemanStove.com, and uh, he is just thrilled with the response from the Hagman and Hagman audience. And if you did purchase a stove, send him some feedback. Yeah. He would love indeed. to hear uh, if if you used it, what you think about it, if there's any improvements that can be made. Um, 
and anything, anything. He wants to hear from you. Again, MinutemanStove.com. Check out their Minuteman Rocket Stove. It's uh, efficient and affordable. And, and folks, our guest tonight, Steve Quayle from SteveQuayle.com. You know Steve. Visit his website. And also, look, pre- preparation has a lot of aspects to it. Uh, he's the guy for precious metals okay if, if i need precious metals or want to buy precious metals i don't deal with anyone we will not accept anyone else in terms of you know well hey can we can we you know can we get on no it's uh, it's renaissance precious renaissance precious metals go to stevequail.com and, and click through to renaissance precious metals he's it's the where man I to go get my iron ounces from there you go no, <laughs> let me tell you something yeah. actually gold was up today from the bear yeah. exit uh it was up over, up almost eighty dollars uh, an ounce, and I, I think it closed or is around sixty dollars the last time I checked. But a significant move in gold due to the fair exit. That's right, and as Steve indicated, uh, I think Friday today was an appetizer for what's coming on Monday. And, yeah, you know, at, and at the very heart of this, and and I just have to really, I think it's it's divine, it's through divine um, intervention here, uh, divine instruction that Steve Quayle and Six uh, Swanstrom are on tonight, given the conditions we face right now the uh geopolitical political domestic situation we face right now that here we are any christian out there wondering wh- whether whether self defense is biblically sound justified what does the bible have to say about this the sanctity of life versus the need to save your own or that of others the bible according to uh sig sigstrom's book here god guns guts of firearm defense amazon.com sig sigstrom.com says sig sigstrom writes this the bible teaches Teaches us that we are to do what we can to stop an act of violence that is likely to cause serious bodily harm or death. Now, you know what? From a biblical perspective, we've got that responsibility, and we better do what we need to do to protect ourselves from armed aggressors. It is an act of love and compassion to protect or stop acts such as murder, rape, kidnapping, robbery, and so on. I don't want to take away from the topic, but uh, for fact checkers out there, I saw an article. Um, apparently, nine twenty nine two thousand eight was the the big oh, this uh, is good to be, Steve. stock market crash. Apparently, that was seven years, seven months, seven weeks, and seven days ago today. From that stock market. Now, that, this is what I read. I, I don't know this to be true. I haven't done the math myself. But for folks out there, apparently September twenty ninth in two thousand eight is seven years, seven months, seven weeks, seven days from today. Which the Dow fell 611 points due to, and you had the Nikki down. uh, I mean, just the markets are haywire. Steve, go ahead and take it, sir. We've uh, read well enough. Again, Joe, for the record, gold was up a hundred dollars, and silver hit eighty-eight cents higher last night. And then, obviously, the central banks and uh, a lot of Federal Reserve money went into the market to try and stabilize it. Here's what it's showing everybody. The countries that have already announced their contempt for the U.S. dollar are some of the biggest gold holders in the world. For instance, China, number one. Russia has huge gold. And by the way, I can't calculate exactly because I don't know all the reserves, but they made billions of dollars on a $100 move, okay? Billions and billions. The fact is, is that people assume everything. They take their safety for granted. They take their uh, lifestyle for granted. And what I've learned, 
and Sig, you can address this. By the way, I want to spell his name because some people might be hearing Sig and Sid. It's S-I-G, Sig. By the way, that's what I carry as a handgun. Swanstrom, S-W-A-N-S-T-R-O-M, S-I-G, Swanstrom, S-W-A-N-S-T-R-O-M.com. So, Doug, what we're talking about tonight is this. It's no, can I say something? It should be painfully obvious that given a world-changing event, the potential for the EU no longer existing within, who knows, weeks, months, years, whatever it is, the potential for those that want to provoke World War III, the potential of nuclear weapons being moved, uh, I'm sorry, being used because they've already been moved, Russia, uh, I think, has has basically shown some extreme uh, uh, ability to basically demonstrate their EW capabilities, electronic warfare capabilities, and still you've got people wanting to go to war with Russia. The global chaos is a primary demand, and World War III is a demand that the New World Order wants worse than anything. We're living on vapor of God's breath and love for humanity. So the last the loss of the flock the lost of the flock, that's pretty good, I can come back. But I want to share something. It's most people will not take personal responsibility or accountability for their actions. Every woman that takes a handgun course, I would give you a hug and in a righteous way, you know, or, or shake your hand and say thank you. To every man that allows his wife to do the preps that a woman does, don't fight them. I'm telling you, you guys, listen, again, every day from everybody I know, and I don't hear from them every day, but I hear from the people who are strategically placed at least weekly. The food issue becomes more and more dire. The record heat due to geoengineering becomes worse and worse. Record-breaking heat, obviously in Nevada, Arizona, California, even San Francisco. The the idea that basically the vending machine uh, uh, siblings, children who think they can go and just put in change or bucks now and, and have your, you know, your Coca-Cola candy bar or whatever come out, by the way, all GMO and all very bad for your health, but people won't do the basics. The basics is, and food, food first, food first, food first. I've been answering emails from people in the last Man, probably weak. I have $500. Should I buy silver? No, no, no. Buy food. Go to your grocery store. Get the best that you can get with the highest protein count. Buy bags of rice. And by the way, some people can't eat beans. Buy bags of rice and, and some canned meats while well, it's still available. You can only plead so long for people to act in their own best interest. But when you deal with the entitlement mentality, it also uh, filters through to people not wanting to be responsible. I've dealt with that for, uh, you know, 35 years in the precious metals business. People are happy when the metals are going up. They're they're mad and sad when they're going down. Uh, you know, everything that's happening, they have to say, well, you're causing fear. No, I'm just telling you, there's fear in the market. I don't cause it. So the point is, when it comes to your personal safety, here's the priority, in my view. Right now, food first. 
please, ladies and gentlemen, go on Numana. The reason I'm asking you to call Ryan on Numana is because he stays up 24-7, depending on his calls. He's the only other guy I know that's up when I'm up, okay? I don't stay up 24-7. I, uh, you know, I crash various hours through that period. But, again, you can call him at 406-581-0182 or just go to my website over on the Numana link. It's the one with the angel with a sword drawn. Number two, get a good water purifier. And a water purifier is different than a filter. When I went on talk radio, so, you know, 25 years ago, when the very first, I think the very first uh, uh, show I did on the two most precious commodities in the times before Jesus returns will be fresh water and edible food. And I said, you'll be drinking water that you used to just walk through with your boots on. The other thing is the volcanism that's going on around the world, okay? That's destroying crop yields. Look up Mount Tambora. Look up the summer that didn't happen. Look up the weird weather that we're having. You can't put that much volcanic ash in the upper atmosphere and not have sunlight be effective. And then I say this. The number one mindset you have to acquire is situational awareness and protecting your family against thieves, brigands, murderers, pillagers, rapists, plunderers, and everybody that hasn't prepared. And see, would you give out, because we have a lot of people in Texas and a lot of people listening all over the country, how do they get a hold of you to see your classes? I'm assuming it's on the website, but I don't want to assume anything. Share, uh, you know, basically your basic teaching uh, times or whatever and, and how to get a hold of you if they want firearm training, because I have a huge audience in Texas. Yeah, I don't want to discourage people, but the reality is that so many people are finally waking up that our classes are basically filled from now to the end of the year, and we're trying to add new sections to that, but the demand is really high, and for us, we limit our class size to make sure we have really the top uh, education possible. So our largest classes are only 24 people, and most are 12. So it's um, our classes are basically filled, and all of our instructors are former police officers who have personally had deadly force encounters. So that limits the number of instructors we can locate as well. So our instructors, you know, have operated in major urban areas and they have had deadly force encounters, and that has been kind of our niche, and it is, as a result, our classes are full. Um, but if you contact me uh, through, the easiest way is through the website that they were mentioning, sigswanstrom.com, uh, or you can look at uh, texasrepublicfirearmsacademy.com, uh, which, by the way, operates as a not-for-profit and uh, CampBarkleyTactical.com. Those are um, the resources, and we will try to help connect you with good training. The problem we encounter with so much firearm training is a lot of it is conducted by good-hearted, nice people who really want to help, but very often they don't have the experience. They may know how to be a fabulous target shooter, but that does not mean that they're able to communicate the skills that you need uh, for a deadly force encounter. Um, even trained people 
um, have a can have a hard time in these situations. One of my friends, uh, he's never lived the situation down. This was some years ago. Police officer. He's uh, in uniform. It's one of those rare nights in the Los Angeles area that nothing's going on. Four in the morning. He's bored to death, trying to stay awake. So he stops at a strip mall and decides to park his cruiser and just walk the strip mall, checking doors and windows. And he's walking along just trying to stay awake, and he turns the corner to go to the back of the uh, building and comes face-to-face with a burglar who's standing about 12 feet away from him, a gun pointed at his head, and uh, my friend drops his service pistol and starts shooting, The bad guy starts shooting. Uh, In a moment, they find that both guns are empty. Neither of them has been hit. And my friend jumps on the burglar and and, uh, handcuffs him and takes him off to jail. But this guy was on the pistol team. He was a good shot. The problem was he was taken by surprise. But the same thing could happen to someone else who isn't trained for a tactical situation when you you know encounter the adrenaline rush the uh, fear the surprise all these other things the regular shooting skills go out the window that's why it's so important to practice practical skills tactical is practical as Steve points out and stay on top of the practice regularly um, the uh, you know you go to some great firearm school and take a class and then if you haven't a year later you haven't been to the range shooting you know you've basically lost the benefit that you achieved from that time in the class you have to practice with some regularity if you can't uh, get to a range that allows you to engage multiple targets and to move and shoot and by the way one of the best ways to simulate adrenaline rush is to if you're at a range that will allow this you leave your gun on the table with somebody else there of course and you run about two blocks to get back to that table where your gun is and then pick it up while you're panting and try to hit the target you'll see that you're if you're scoring your score goes through the floor because of the increased respiration which is similar to an adrenaline rush. So we have to practice in ways to take these things into account. And there are many good uh, firearm self-defense schools, but check closely not just into who founded the school, but who will be the instructor for the class that you're thinking about taking. And, um, you know, if you can't get into one of those schools, a police officer or Um, military person who has actually been in combat you know most military people don't actually see combat uh, even though they might have been in theater Uh, so you need to pick someone who really has the skills of engaging the enemy with a gun Uh, but a police officer is probably a best choice because that is different than military engagements Uh, but training is important if you don't have access to that or you can't afford it uh, running the scenarios in your own mind and then trying to set up as practical a training as possible. And let me add, too, there's an over-fascination with quick draw. 
quick draw is ultimately not very important. Drawing the gun safely and being on target is far more important. Back in the old days when there was dueling, um, you know, we've we've all seen the pictures of them standing back to back and then walking, you know, 12 paces and turning and firing at the other guy. Well, in reality, the person who won those engagements was not generally the one who got the first shot off. The one who won was the one who had the fortitude to stand there while another guy's shooting at him, and yet he takes aim because, you know, a a pistol or a rifle, you know, you're talking about a very small projectile that's coming out of there. And, you know, to be on target when you're in a high fear, high adrenaline situation is not something that comes automatic. So training is great, and if you don't have any other option, even something as simple as an airsoft gun that is in the same style as the gun you normally carry, and, you know, you can sit in your family room with a cardboard box, and at least you're practicing trigger pull and sight picture and uh, handling of the gun. It's not anything close to actually shooting uh, your real gun, but for some people that's the only alternative, and especially with the price of ammunition being very high, um, you know, an airsoft pistol that shoots just little six-millimeter plastic pellets uh, is both uh, relatively safe as well as um, giving you some aspect of practice if you don't have access to a range. But again, you can't get the idea that just getting a gun is the answer. And I want to make sure I make it clear, too, everyone shouldn't have a gun. If you have anger management problems, if you have a history of some kind of mental illness, if if you're taking drugs or you drink, um, those kind of issues, if, if you're not in complete control of your faculties, both physically and mentally, you should not be carrying a gun. You maybe shouldn't even own a gun. Uh, when Jesus gave his injunction to his followers to to sell their coat and buy a sword if if uh, they didn't already have one, it was an injunction. It was not a commandment. And the difference is that a commandment is something that applies to everyone. You know, thou shalt not commit adultery. That is a commandment. But when it comes to an injunction, it relates to those people who have the capacity to follow that direction. So again, it could be it could be mental uh, issues, just slight instabilities. It could be that you're on a regular regimen of prescription drugs that says you shouldn't operate dangerous machinery. You know, well, a gun is included in that. Um, there's various reasons, you know, that you maybe should not carry a gun. But the flip side of that is also true. If none of those things apply to you and you're mentally and physically able, I read that injunction from Jesus as something that we need to take to heart. That is our responsibility. And again, just owning a gun, of course, you have to train. But if you've got it at home in your gun safe and it's not with you when you needed it, I'll tell you, if you ever need a gun and you don't have it, 
you're going to have to live with that the rest of your life. So people talk about, well, what if I use my gun and what if I made a bad choice and I have to live with that the rest of my life? That's very true. But if you don't have your gun and you don't take action, you have to live with that as well. And uh, that's not pleasant. Uh, It's never happened to me personally, but I know people that it has happened to. And years later, they're still haunted by their negligence that they should, they knew they should have had a gun with them. They didn't. And a family member was killed or injured or raped as a result. And, uh, you know, that's, that's another aspect of things we have to live with. I'll tell you something, Sig. I agree with you. If you got a concealed weapons carry permit and you leave the house without your gun, you, you know what? Uh, I mean, I, I've actually turned back to for leaving my house. I've turned back to, to get my weapon, not because I expected trouble, but because I didn't want to have that to be haunted by what, uh, you know, could, could have been because of the, that, that moment, you know, I mean, who knows? It's likely when you, when you, when you, when you leave it at home is, is when you might need it. I, I don't know, but I just don't never want to be in a position where I will be regretting my inability when I had the ability, uh, to, um, uh, to take action. But I, I, I say if I can, can I get your take on the, because you were a, a former police officer. Many people today, and, and I believe are rightfully disturbed about the militarization of our municipal police forces. I mean, they're driving around in half-tracks, tanks, and not half-tracks, but tanks almost, you know, armored personnel carriers. I understand. I, I, I mean, I understand the stated reasons, but um, John Whitehead, the uh, the author of A Government of Wolves and the other book, uh, uh, another book in Radley Balco as well, uh, talks about the militarization of police. Can you address that uh, uh, from your yeah. point of view as his, a former his, officer? His, his books are excellent, by the way. And I think he's right on target. I am very concerned with this. On one hand, the uh, certain amount of military equipment is essential. I mean, from, you know, what, you know, how are the bad guys armed? And you have to confront those people with automatic weapons and, and so on. Well, you better be able to, to deal with them as well because, um, I mean, <laughs> it is terrible maybe to say, but, in uh, SWAT teams was when the when the public is in trouble they call the police when the police are in trouble they call the they call SWAT and um, that is the last line of defense I mean if the police or the SWAT team can't deal with it then who's going to deal with it all that we have left then is the military and we don't want the military operating within the United States period that is not their role, and that is prone to uh, snowball into all sorts of terrible uh, circumstances. So when the martial law is declared and the military are on the street, that is a very dangerous situation on many fronts, and that's the topic of a whole other conversation. But as far as the militarization of the police, Um, Having an armored vehicle like a Peacemaker is one brand or a Bearcat. They're basically like a Suburban that has a new body on it that is an armored body. No problem. In Orlando, they used a Bearcat to ram through the wall in the uh, restroom to affect the entry and the um, 
and saving the people that had been held hostage, and that's how they finally engaged um, this uh, Muslim was uh, by breaking through that wall with a bear cat. Uh, and they had to do it more than once, by the way, and the first one went in the wrong place. But anyway, the heart was in the right place. Um, those kind of vehicles and that kind of equipment, totally reasonable, because you're talking about you know being able to have maybe four occupants and sustain a moderate small arms fire. What concerns me is that police departments are basically unable to buy a surplus Humvee that is armored, which holds four people. Um, the government will not sell them to police departments, but they will give them an MRAP, a mine-resistant uh, vehicle that uh, is commonly used in Iraq and Afghanistan. Why does our government give away thousands of MRAPs that cost the lowest, the cheapest one is half a million dollars. They're typically half a million to a million and a half dollars, and they're giving them away by the thousands to police departments in the United States. Why do we need mine-resistant, armor-protected urban tanks in the hands of our law enforcement. We don't, unless they're anticipating something that uh, we're not seeing right now. Um, why do we need um, agencies like NOAA um, that deal, nor, the, uh, what's NOAA stand for, uh, uh, anyway, it's the National uh, Atmospheric Association. Um, yeah. yeah, National Oceanographic and Atmospheric. Oceanographic and Atmospheric. Um, has absolutely no law enforcement function, but they have substantial SWAT teams. The post office has SWAT teams. The EPA has SWAT teams. The um, the Department of Energy has SWAT teams. A little more understandable because of some of the things there. But still, really? Do we really need SWAT teams for all these agencies? It came out in the news today, I think it was uh, the Washington Beacon or whatever that paper is, Washington, D.C., um, said that we now have more arms in the hands of our government agencies, SWAT teams, than are in the hands of the U.S. Marine Corps. Um, do you think there's a problem with this picture? Now, obviously, the government is preparing for anarchy. In my book, Prepared, Ready to Roll, um, I don't draw conclusions because I'm trying to stay away from um, opinion, but I list out the different activities that the government has been engaged in in its preparedness efforts over the last 30 years and it is sobering. In fact, when I wrote that book, after I was done, I picked it up again and started reading it from the beginning. I was so depressed when I got to the end that I went back and cut out about 20% of the book, and I added more, more uh, details of hope into it, because we are not to live in fear, but we are in hope. And let me just inject here, too, we should feel, not only should we not feel fear, we should feel honored 
that God has allowed us to be born into the time we're living. In Ephesians 2, it, it says, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, or uh, 10, rather, Ephesians 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, we were born into this time for a specific purpose. I don't care if you're famous, you're competent in firearms, you have absolutely no competence you feel like in anything, you were born for a specific purpose, and God blessed you that you were born into this time. We've had people, saints throughout 2,000 years, that have wanted to see what we're about to see ourselves. So we shouldn't be panicky about it. We should be honored, and we should also be prepared not just so that we can survive. That's, that's the least of it. We are to survive so that we can be God's agents and making a difference in the world for the time that's coming. So we serve him through the times that are coming. We're about to enter into a time of opportunity for Christians that hasn't been seen in many, many generations. But it's only going to be available to us if we are prepared. We have to be ready for it. Otherwise, we're just going to be busy trying to take care of our own needs and feed our family and so on. If we're prepared, we're going to have incredible opportunities to serve our Lord. And that's, you know, we're talking, we don't want to go out and not have a gun when you needed it. I don't want to be in our future unprepared, so I'm just scrounging around trying to eat and find drinking water when I could be out there really making a difference for the kingdom. So those, you know, the militarization of the police is just another sign of the times that the government is anticipating a major time of unrest. I mean, the amount of ammunition that has been purchased uh, by the government, the amount of small arms, the larger arms, the automatic weapons, it is absolutely sobering. When I was growing up, there was still the nuclear threat with Russia or the Soviet Union. And we had civil defense um, stations all around the city, and uh, they were in basements or whatever, and their effectiveness can, could be uh, debated. But the point is the government was trying to get air raid shelters and equip these shelters so people had a place to go to protect the public from what they were afraid would happen in the event of nuclear war. That's not happening today. You notice that? We don't have any civil defense shelters anymore. They're all closed. Even the ones that still existed have been closed and the content stripped out of them. The only thing the government is doing now is working on continuity of government plans and each federal department has been given a presidential directive to create its own continuity of government uh, plan and facility. So we have all these elaborate uh, secret facilities around the country that are designed not to care for the public, but to just carry for, care for the essential, who they consider the essential people, which are the government, government personnel so that the government survives even though the, uh, the public doesn't. So with these kind of preparations, I mean, this sounds all just crazy conspiracy theory, 
I'll tell you, it's all out there. It's all public domain information. I've listed a lot of it in that book, Prepared, Ready to Roll. You know, it's all footnoted. You can go on the government websites and pull down the information. It's all there in plain sight. It's just underreported. People like Steve and Doug and Joe talk about it. And if you're used to listening to this uh, radio show, you know about it, but a lot of your neighbors don't. And that's why I wrote the book as a tool for us to be able to use to help our friends and neighbors and family members wake up to what's coming. And it intentionally doesn't tell the whole story because you tell the whole story, it's overwhelming. But it tells enough to show that things are anticipated, changes are coming, and the future is going to look very different from today. If not, you know, in the next year or month, it certainly something will be coming down in the lives of our children. So we better be doing what we can, not to just prepare for today, but prepare for a longer-term future that looks very different, and getting our kids equipped and self-reliant as well. When we were living in Guatemala, one of the attacks that we had on our installation, we had, we lived, we uh, had our manufacturing plant and a hangar right on the uh, international airport and then our office on the other side and we had an apartment above it and the uh, government of Guatemala put a uh, had a um, barracks right next to us so we had uh, I think it was 80 soldiers billeted there for our protection and uh, one night the guerrillas attacked and uh, we wake up to the sound of mortars and automatic weapons fire and RPGs are being fired and I can look out the window in our second story apartment and see the troops engaging uh, the uh, insurgents just right in front of our building fortunately they're shooting mainly north and south because we're in kind of a corridor and I look on the other side because we were above the uh, uh, aircraft hangar And the same thing is happening on the other side of the building. And the next thing I know, here my kids are. They're both, I don't remember how old, junior high age, young. And they're crawling into our bedroom from their room, which is 60, 70 feet away. And it suddenly hit me in the middle of this battle, what have I done to bring my family to a war zone? And then that clicked over immediately to a sense of pride that they knew how to act. They knew how to respond. And even though they were only junior high age, they knew how to handle a gun. And they were not intimidated by the circumstance. They were responding appropriately. And some years later, I was uh, with my son when he was going through a Uh, interview to get into the ROTC program at the University of Washington and uh, after his interview was over the major walked out and uh, got me off to the side and said you know this is really embarrassing because your son has seen more combat than I have and (laughs) I had to laugh but at the same time that's very sobering and I'm not suggesting that that is a good idea to bring your children into harm's way But what I am suggesting is it's not just us as men that need to be prepared. Our spouses, 
children that are old enough should know how to handle firearms. They should know how to defend themselves. And, um, and we should learn how to operate together as a family as well. Uh, the military calls it a fire team. And base, we, we have some uh, training in that regard as well, where a family learns how to operate together as a fire team, supporting each other. It's not, you know, like the old Western where the wife is just reloading the gun. In this day and age, it's everybody knowing what they're doing and working together cooperatively. And, you know, if you're just dealing with a single uh, armed robber, yeah, that's not necessary. But if you're in a time of anarchy, I can assure you it is because nobody's coming. Nobody's coming. You pick up the phone, it's probably going to be dead. You pick up your cell phone and dial out, and it's probably going to ring busy. Um, where I live a few weeks ago, um, I'm also on the volunteer fire department, and we got notified through our radios that the telephone system was down for two-thirds of the county. The people didn't realize you got it. you picked up your cell phone and called. You heard that you got connected to a tower, and you could leave a voicemail message, maybe, and phone calls coming in was the same thing. The public did not realize that they were completely cut off in their communication. Alarm systems didn't work. Landline phones didn't work, and cell phones didn't work. In this case, it was because of a construction accident on a freeway. It, it severed the fiber optic cable. But if that doesn't remind us how frail our communication system is and our ability to communicate with each other in emergency. So, you know, our contingency plans, as Steve was mentioning, food, water, you know, we're talking about that stove. Those are great stoves, by the way. Um, you know, we have to be prepared for all aspects of responding. And, you know, people talk to me about bugging out. Well, yeah, that's great, but where are you going to bug to? You know, it's not a matter of just having a backpack with a few supplies in it. You have to know what you're doing with it and where you're going with it. And your kids have to know as well. If they're off at school, do they know where they're supposed to go? Do they know to wait at school until you get there? You know, what if it's two days later? Are they still going to wait at school? Are you telling them that's what they should do? Well, maybe that's the right thing to do. But you better figure out a family plan and so that your wife isn't walking home and you're walking to get to her job and you're passing each other on parallel streets and you never connect with each other. So we need plans in place. We need these supplies, but we also need how to use those supplies. And then we also uh, need to practice enough that everybody involved knows what they're doing. Not just you as the aware and informed person, you know, has all these supplies together, but does your family know how to use them? Well, I, and then Doug, let me add in to this too. I think it's critical. The obvious way to test how you're going to respond is just shut off. You know, this is this is a basic prepper exercise, but it's good. Shut off the power in your house. Go to the you know, and then obviously just 
go try and go through the day. You'll find you turn on lights by habit. You go to turn on the TV, and then don't use your phones, okay? And then start to think. Everybody else is in this boat too. I think probably one of the greatest fears most people have, and it takes it takes preparation and it takes mental control and emotional control is what happens when you're totally cut off from anybody else except your immediate family and the Lord. Well, then you rely on, obviously, the words of Jesus, Behold, I'm with you unto the end. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But having a plan, uh, what is it? Just say you've heard this too. A plan, a failing, uh, let's see, yep. Failing to plan is planning to fail. But implementing the plan, you can have the most elaborate plan, but when you go in it, just like running and getting your heart rate up, then trying to stay on target, you know, and, and, and remembering that drill, front sight, front sight, front sight, and your hand is moving up and down, and you're going, good night, this is harder than it looks, that's when you realize that you haven't trained enough, you haven't thought it through enough, and you haven't prepped enough. Just like today. Day, okay, I want to give everybody a heads up. We don't know if Monday will be a black Monday, and if today was just the opening salvo, next week it's conceivable, depending, conceivable, I'm not saying God's in control, I am saying God's in control, but it's conceivable that we could have a whole week of some of the most erratic movements that have ever been experienced, because we're in no man's land now. And so if we see uh, ATM cards going down, credit cards going down, banks being interfered with, cyber attacks, any form of power outages, cell phone outages, telephone outages, whatever, the, I, I think so you can say amen to this, probably one of the most unusual things that can help, uh, that can happen to a human being is when the normal rhythm of their life is upset and the normal input and the normal, uh, if you will, perceptions are totally cut off. In other words, you're, uh, you're in a realm of sensory deprivation. And sensory deprivation, ladies and gentlemen, was one of the first uh, uh, exercises that Central Intelligence Agency used for MK Ultra experiments, along with scopolamine and LSD and radio frequency and everything else. But that's when that's when you understand. That's when you go and look at your your uh, pantry or whatever your 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 kitchen cupboards, and you go, if this doesn't get better, this is it. Then you go and you find out that you didn't store any water, and guess what? Your pump doesn't work, and the city's uh, water is not working. And then you think, well, I've got 50 gallons or 75 gallons in my hot water tank. I better go get that. And, you know, so there's all types of uh, scenarios. I think the biggest thing that people are unaware of, Sig, is that the level of violence, and this is nice people cannot even begin to imagine the level of violence that's going to come against them. Is that a fair statement? Oh, absolutely. Imagine <clears throat> your neighborhood with uh, normally friendly, nice people, but the average home doesn't have more than three days of food supply. So you've gone through this disaster, you know, maybe it's uh, localized, maybe it's an earthquake, maybe it's uh, uh, Katrina kind of incident or maybe a terrorist incident or something more serious but if it's widespread the panic is in place and after three days and the food disappears and there's not enough drinking water 
what do you think an ordinarily good, nice father or mother is going to do to feed their children? Do you think they're just going to knock on the doors and ask for some food? Well, yeah, initially, that's probably what they're going to do. But if they're not getting enough food to feed their family, what do you think this this person is going to do? Ordinarily, they're a, they're a good person. They don't have any criminal history. They've never been arrested for any kind of crime. But suddenly, when they don't have food to eat, the personality is going to change. The circumstances are going to change. And that's why, you know, you have... You may have a couple weeks supply of food in your home, um, but unless your home is really a defensible space, uh, people talk to me about getting generators and whatever. Well, I can tell you, if you're the only one on the block with the lights on, where do you think they're going to be coming? And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter if you have a year's supply of food if you can't defend it and you're not in a defensible space to be able to defend it. So the ability to bug out to a safe haven location becomes important, <clears throat> whether it's just a weather emergency or whether it's something more serious than that. Uh, we need a place to go. I've been in conversation with a number of people about developing a readiness university, uh, which is uh, going to be a cooperative effort to bring people together who are experts in uh, defense and safety, uh, water, water purification, storage, shelter, uh, food, nutrition, medical, sanitation, transportation, communication, and on it goes, um, so that people can really work on getting prepared holistically. I can't tell you how many people I have that talk to me and says, well, we're ready for everything because I've got three gun safes full of guns and lots of ammo. And, uh, you know, I said, well, how does that ammo taste? You know, after a while, it must get pretty bitter. Uh, and the reality is, if you aren't prepared with food, uh, it doesn't matter that you have guns. And so, you know, all these things are necessary, uh, whether it's uh, just being responsible for preparing for a natural disaster. I mean, Katrina taught us that the government can't come in and solve our problems. And we've had major storms since, and they didn't do any better. Now, we know, uh, I know through my research, that the top people in FEMA are busy with continuity of government. They're not concerning themselves with preparing for FEMA-like incidents. Um, so we're getting the second level of expertise applied to these uh, natural disasters. But the point is that the government isn't going to be there, whether it be a natural disaster or something more substantial. And if it lasts for more than a few days, uh, it's going to get pretty ugly. And it did in Katrina. Um, and it has in these other places as well. When I was, in, uh, I was involved in a, a SWAT training exercise at Fort Ord in California, in 1989 when the uh, big San Francisco earthquake hit 6.9 magna magnitude and uh, I remember uh, martial law was declared and it was it was a big big deal and freeways collapsed and I forget how many people were killed you know 70 people or something killed and billions of dollars worth of damage and I was uh, patrolling uh, a street in Monterey and uh, 
I see this woman come out of a grocery store, and she's got two baskets full of toilet paper. And I couldn't resist, so I stopped to say, what are you doing with all this toilet paper? And she said, well, it's the only, it was the only thing left in the store, so I bought it. And this was just hours after the earthquake. That grocery store was completely cleaned out. Um, so if we don't have these stockpiles of supplies readily available to us and enough with us in our vehicles so that we can get back home or wherever it is we're going to go, uh, we're going to be in trouble pretty fast. So let me, let me I, I just can't encourage us all enough yeah. to take these preparations seriously now while we still can. People should be praying through the weekend because, again, uh, with Britain already exiting Deutsche, uh, excuse me, uh, the EU, and Deutsche Bank being one of the biggest banks in the world teetering on insolvency, once these things begin to fall, they will affect everybody in the United States. And so... I'm, I'm going to encourage everyone to literally be praying because Monday, nobody knows what Monday is. There are already people out there saying that Friday was just a prelude to Monday. Maybe Monday it turns around temporarily, but again, if anybody, you know, wants to get a hold of you, uh, go to sigswanstrom.com and you have email contact there, right? Yes, I do. Yep. And if anybody wants to get a hold of me through the weekend, I start uh, trading precious metals on Sunday at about 4 o'clock. So if you want me to call you, now anybody with under $1,000, go buy food. If those of you who are serious, I'm serious, you cannot uh, send me an email, what's a good time to call, and I will call you. Again, ladies and gentlemen, the thing that is critical is it's you have to take the, the safety of your family and yourself and that's why I recommend this any woman that is who is married to a gun guy don't have your husband teach you get competent tactical instruction from someone else chances are your husband doesn't have the competency not that he can't shoot a paper target it goes for this your husband can't step 24 hours to protect you you never know where you're going to be and say don't you find that teams husband and wife teams that take their personal safety and their family safety to Together is really a a good point. Yes, and it's really relationship time as well. And I would add to that children too. Starting, I mean, in our programs we have children involved as young as twelve years of age, and it of course depends totally on the maturity of the Gu children. Guys, man, I hate to cut this short, man. I'm so sorry, but we've reached the end of the hour already. <laughs> that just flew by. Sig Swanstrom, God bless you. Thank you so much. Steve, thank Excellent, you. John. Excellent. Thanks, Doug. Wow. Bye-bye. Right. Thank you. God bless you, sir. Next week, John Moore Monday. Gary Stearman, Bob Alrich on Tuesday. Paul McGuire Thursday. Thursday, Paul McGuire. And we're just getting started. We'll see you next week. This is the Global Star Radio Network.